Hey Blockheads, this is DM Ian with the Dungeon Master's Block. This episode you are about to hear is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Today's audiobook recommendation is The Furies of Calderon, book one of the Codex Alera by Jim Butcher. In the realm of Alera, where people bond with furies, elements of earth, air, fire, water, and metal, 15-year-old Tavi struggles with his lack of fury crafting. But when his homeland erupts into chaos, when rebels war with loyalists and furies clash with furies, Tavi's simple courage will turn the tides of war. If you've ever wondered what high fantasy would look like in a Roman world, the Furies of Calderon and the following books of the Codex Alaris series answer that question with a riveting and complex epic spun by a master storyteller. Go to audibletrial.com slash dmb today for your free audiobook trial. Once again, help support us at the block by going to audibletrial.com slash dmb for a free audiobook. Thank you. And now, here's the show. Welcome back, Blockheads, to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts for this week's episode, Dungeon Master Ian. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Money, the other host. The other host, yeah. And today, we had the pleasure of talking with the one, the only, the legendary... Lou Anders, he is back, and that southern drawl is for real. <laughs> so today we're also talking sports and games, which who better to talk sports and games with in fantasy settings than Lou Anders himself. But before we get into the meat of this episode, Neil, we have an iTunes So this review comes from Magrat, which is actually a reference to Discworld, or at least I think it is, and if it's not, well disregard this magrat and it is love this show five stars so much awesome information flows out of this podcast if you want to dm or you want to think about dming or you want to hear the secrets your dm has been keeping from you this is the place for you <laughs> role playing couldn't get any mastery er so thank you magrat for that awesome that review. Is a great review i love that <laughs> and with that out of the way let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carving up! Fist the mouthful! No! <laughs> Well, welcome back to the meat of this portion, Blockheads. Today we are joined by an author, uh, a very good man, I would say, Lou Anders. And he wrote the Thrones and Bones series, or is the author of the Thrones and Bones series. And uh, he is joining us today to talk about sports and games in D&D. Lou, 
Say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. It is good to be back. Yes. Yeah. It's good to have you back. I love that Southern drawl. It makes me happy. <laughs> I don't. I, I lived outside the South for 17 years and lost it. And I've been back for uh, 17 years. It's coming back. It took it a while to come back. <laughs> Sneaking up on it's you. It's not a bad thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lou, uh, we like to, you've been on the show before, but, you know, for those who maybe have forgotten that episode or, or for our new listeners, uh, we're, we've got a couple of questions we want to ask you by way of introduction. And the first one is what have you been working on lately? I know you've been to, you know you've been working on Thrones and Bones and that kind of thing, but as of late, what have been some of your recent projects? Well, the Thrones and Bones trilogy is is all out and done. The, the yeah. third book in that just came out in paperback last month, and um, I have another book that will be out, knock on wood, next year called The Dragon Squire, about a boy who's twelve years old and a dragon who's six hundred fifty something ish. And they magic magic spell goes awry, and they switch bodies. Freaky Friday with a dragon and a kid. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, Dad, yeah, <laughs> that's that is um that has been in a long editing process, which is not yet over. And uh, but it's it should be out end of next year. Knock on wood. And then um I have three different books, all set in my world, but all with different characters. That are all one third of the way in. And I keep just I keep getting stuck on one and hopping to another. So the plan is to finish at least one, if not two, of those by Christmas. Now, is the is the dragon one going to be set in your world? Or oh yeah, is that the dragon one's set in my world. You know, the, the um the Thrones and Bones series goes to four different countries in my world. It starts out in a Norse inspired land, and it jumps to a place that's modeled loosely on Sweden slash generic medieval place, and then we go to the Holy Roman Empire type ish place, and we end up in fantasy Greece. And the Dragon Squire is straight up fantasy England, knights and dragons oh, okay. and chivalry. Yeah. And then I'm working on one now that works in West African cultures and uh, Okinawan cultures. But I don't know if that's the one that's going to get finished this year or not. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, luck of the draw. Yep, that's awesome. That's and then I, there's a there's a secret project that I can't talk about, but it's going to be announced in three weeks. I'm very excited about it. So this is my excitement. But unfortunately, I can't say anything about it. But by the time this podcast drops, maybe that's public. Yeah, that'd be sweet. It should be, yeah. Cool. Also, I envisioned that dragon talking like Sean Connery, and then you said they switched, and now I envisioned a 12-year-old boy also talking like Sean yeah. Connery, and I am very pleased. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. Neil, I have a surprise question for you, which is what's the worst thing you've ever got caught in your beard? Okay, I accept. I accept that the surprise question has been sprung on me. Oh, trying to trying to think of what the worst thing is. Okay, so this only happens in the winter months, but I have gotten my beard caught in a zipper of a jacket, and it was the worst thing ever. It is awful because then you're thinking, you're like, you just run through all this terrible string of questions in your head. Like, can I get it out? Is it worth it? Do I need to cut it out? I'm just gonna give up on the whole beard. <laughs> Been there, done that. I used to have a, a a really big goatee, no beard, no mustache, but mm-hmm. goatee, and I got it, I got it caught in the zipper once. Yep. See, pain, pain, pain. Perfect. Surprise question <laughs> section, beautifully done. Thank you, Lou. There you go. <laughs> so, like we said, this week we're going to be talking about sports and games in 
in your D&D worlds and how to incorporate those, make those. And, and Lou, you have a very unique game in your series of books. I know we've talked about it before, uh, but just because we're talking about it today, why don't, why, can you give us a refresher on, on what your game is and, and how you've sort of even incorporated that into the real world? Absolutely. Um, there are actually three games, one in each book. So uh, the first game uh, is in the first book, Frostborn, and the game is called Thrones and Bones. And the way that came about initially is my, my main, one of my two main characters is a, a girl who's half frost giant. And she's very athletic and very outgoing and very stubborn and very, uh, very much the type that charges in first and asks questions later and knocks heads around. And so when I was coming up with the boy that would be paired with her, I didn't want him to also be athletic but I didn't want a character who was just defined by what they weren't. He had to have something he was good at, something he was passionate about. And I thought, you know, well, games. People have always been, been into games, and I had this idea that gamers of the past were no different than, than gamers today. And this is right before they found that, that 20-sided polyhedral die from ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. You know, that thing is so awesome. I, I want that. I must have that. I'm going to have to hire a team of supervillains to rob the museum it's in because I have to have that on my shelf. So the Vikings actually were really big on a game called Nefotafel, which was uh, they played a build chest of its play. I, I initially thought he would just play Nefotafel. And there are a lot of different rule reconstructions. And I was able to find like three major variants of Nefotafel that, that were quite different. Like one used dice. And one didn't. That's how different they were. Hmm. And as I got deeper into the book, I was like, you know, I need to know which set of rules I'm using because it's actually becoming part of the narrative. And as I got even deeper in, I was like, you know what? It would just be better for my rules and not somebody else's reconstruction. And so I stopped writing and I went to a craft store and I bought off wooden dowels and paint pens and the 12 by 12 board. And I made a board and I, and I, and I then spent a week playing every variant I could find and going, well, I like this rule and I don't like that rule. This rule doesn't work for my narrative. And I ended up picking and choosing and then adding my own rules and making a, an original game heavily inspired by Hinefetafel and, uh, and called it Thrones and Bones. And that was before we had a series name. And then my editor picked Thrones and Bones as a series name. We printed the rules in the back of the book. And the coolest thing that's happened is fans all over the country and in England are making their own sets. And I've gotten to go into bookstores and play my fans at the game I created. I, I, I never lose. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course not, right? <laughs> yeah. That's not true. There's a guy in, in a bookstore in Brooklyn who actually beat me pretty bad. But we played like 10 games across an hour, and it was really, really cool because I never gone that deep against somebody. So when it came time for book two, they're like, you've got the board game for book two, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, a, a big scene in book two is chariot race in, in an arena modeled on the Hippodrome of Constantinople, except that they race on manticore instead of horses. Because why wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Had, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fantasy world, and, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I wanted a racing board game. And in some ways, I'm more proud of uh, the game is called Charioteers, and I'm kind of more proud of it in some ways because it is even less inspired by something in the real world. I looked at the Egyptian games. I looked at, you know, backgammon, and then I traced backgammon backwards to Sinet, the Egyptian game, and the royal game of Ur. And then I went forward from there, and I created a dice racing game. I, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it really 
isn't lifted from any of those. Not that Thrones and Bones is lifted from one version of an epitaph or another, but this is, you have four playing pieces, and you only have to get two of them across the finish line in order to win. And after you've done that, you can continue to play with whatever, with your, your remaining two pieces to mess with the other players and determine who comes in second, third, and fourth. That's because in the chariot races, that it was just like NASCAR. People would wear sponsors. Team. They would wear sponsors on their on their chariots, and they would have rich patrons who were betting on the games. And if you knew that, like, okay, we're so far behind, we're never going to win, then you would try and wreck into other chariots, so that someone else who might have a better shot of winning, who is being backed by the same old rich guy, would win, and the old rich guy stays happy and he keeps betting on the races. And so that's why you only have to get two across the win, but you have four on the board. And, uh, and then for the third book, I needed a, this whole fascination with games inside games or games inside stories. I think it started with me with uh, Chessmen of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I don't know if you're all familiar, but there's a game called Jetan or Jetan. I, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. J-E-T-A-N. I think it's Jetan. And it's uh, Martian Chess. And he published the rules for Martian chess in the back of the Chessmen of Mars. And I thought that was, the, I read that when I was like 12, and it just blew my mind. That was the coolest thing ever. And so there is, a, in, in the Chessmen of Mars, at the, in that book, there's a place where they play live, deadly, Jatan, where when you move into a square, you have to sword fight to the death. So in my third book, massive spoiler, there's a place in fantasy Greece where people are fighting to the death on a giant chessboard. For that, I looked at a Roman game called, and my Latin is not good, but it's called Ludus Latrunculorum, Ludus Latrunculorum, or the game of brigands. And it's based itself on an ancient Greek name game called Pitea, or Pinte Grammatica, Grammatia. And so I was looking at that game and trying to do something based on it, and it kept going into a draw. And I didn't, that game doesn't come into the book until the very end of the book. So I'm at the very end of the book. The book is due in a few weeks and uh, to, to my publisher. And every time we play tested it, 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 would, it would end in a draw. And I'm going, there must be something wrong. I mean, how can this thing always end in a draw? So I go back to the historical sources, and I find out that the Romans considered it a kid's game, quote, because of its tendency to always end in a draw. No way. And I'm like, so the thing is broken. And I've got two and a half weeks to fix something and come up with a set of rules that 2,000 years of Greco-Roman civilization has never, has never resolved. <laughs> and so at the last minute, we added dice to it. And that made it more play. It made it less of a strategy game, but a faster, faster more fun game. Oh, man. Yeah. Welcome to game so, design. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the craziest thing to me is you know, the initial story of... I need a game and then falling into game design, like almost like completely dropping the writing process. And you're just like, well, I'm a game designer now because I need to be for this book. That's so good. And then like, as you're telling the story, the other thing that really was weird for me was realizing how many stories and how many games have games in them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a, you know, I mean, I mean, not even, we start with the Martian chess. I think the other one that, really looms large for me is Kai Show from uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. And then, and of course, Pro Bending from, from Legend of Korra. Well, and the other one I thought of was uh, the 3D chess inside of Star Trek. 
because yeah, like yeah I used to um, have a set of that yeah I was gonna say I we used to have a set at my house and that was very very interesting and it's how many yeah just so many things have games in them it's, oh well you know and then you look at like uh, for example uh, Witcher the Witcher video game series has a game called a card game called Gwent which I think is absolutely amazing it's a it was so good in the the macro game it was a mini game within the video game and it was so good as a mini game that they decided to release it as its own standalone not too long ago, and people have just been playing it uh, like crazy. And then you get, uh, like, one of my favorite series is a, a little-known series called The Cycle of Iran um, by Edward W. Robertson, and he created a game that's like Risk Chess and Magic the Gathering all sort of smashed together with a, with a theophilosophical debate mixed in for fun, uh, and it's called Nulladoon. And all of these games sort of feed into the culture, the history, the lore of each of the separate worlds that, that the, the games are set in. And I think that that is a huge part of having games in your world is, is having those sorts of things that, that reinforce the culture, reinforce ideas, even, even going so far as to teach players about your world, uh, I think is a great way to use games in, in, in your D and D setting, teaching your players in a way that's fun and not just like you find this tome in this old library and in summation right. it says this. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, you know I, I haven't played uh, Curse of Strahd yet, but I'm I'm really eager to to run the Taroka deck. And of course, there's Patrick Rothfuss's Tack, which I haven't played. A buddy of mine backed that heavily on Kickstarter, and then funny story he 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 got upset that he could get a Tack game, but he couldn't get a Thrones and Bones game. <laughs> so he started casting around for somebody that would make a really nice Thrones and Bones set just for him. Oh, no way. And he found this guy called Ignited Arts and Design and got him to make the wooden and wood-burned Thrones and Bones set. And then he brought it over and we played on it. And so then I couldn't be outdone because mine was hand, you know, homemade. Yeah. So I called the guy, and I should I send you pictures for your listeners can't see this, but I can send you photographs. Yeah, yeah. But this is, this is oh, now my no. Thrones and Bones set. That's so good. That is amazing. I also hope that I'll when you it. called that guy, you said, yes, I would like this, but I would like a nicer version than you made oh, yeah, for yeah. the last guy. Okay, good. <laughs> Actually, what he made for the last guy was super nice. But what I what I did with him is I um, I suggested some things. So we put shields under the shield maidens on their places. And there's a thing in Viking uh, myth called a helm of, invi- of invisibility. It's a, a rune that's supposed to make you invulnerable. And so we put that on the on the Jarl spot in the center of the board, stuff like that. Nice. So, so I edited him basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey man, whatever it takes. Yeah, I think that like I have two games in my in my D and D world of Altara, and one of them is unimaginatively is called Rook. It is based off of chess and one of my favorite games. And depending on how you call this game, I'm either going to be a good friend of yours or I'm going to disown you completely. It is called Othello in some circles and it is called Go in others. And there is a distinct line between who knows what it's called and who doesn't. But anyway, <laughs> but I took those two games and I smashed them together. And it's sort of an old world. Uh, it would be like Ludus or something like that in, in my world. It's a very ancient game. But essentially, they move pieces around the board, and each piece has like 
one of the six elemental markers in my world and they combine pieces into like hero figures that sort of inform my players about ancient heroes in my world. You know, you've got Tashandrian and you've got some of these other big heroes in my world. And, you know, each of the pieces has different abilities and different powers. But I use that as a method to teach about the ancient history of my world. And I think it that players generally seem to like it whenever I incorporate it. I have I have a rule book. I have a board game made up somewhere in storage, probably out of my storage because I haven't played it in a while. And it's it's been a lot of fun whenever I've broken it out and people have really seemed to enjoy it. And then I've got another one that I recently did and I called it Domen, which is uh, in my ancient tongue is is reason or logic, where I took that card game of Gwent and I mashed it with Nulla Dune because those are two of like the most brilliant games I think I've seen in it. Aside from, you know, things that Lou, you've done, because those like those games are are really amazing. But I took the the card game of Gwent and the theophilosophical debate of 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 Nulla Dune and I smashed them together. And so people now sit down and they, as they're playing this card game, they have three judges that sort of stand to the side and the players agree on a debate topic before the card game begins. And based on the merits or, or demerits of their argument, they get modifiers or uh, negative modifiers to their pieces. Uh, and then it's played out like a, like a card game like went um, for the round. And then the new round starts and, and there's another series of debates. And I, when you use an NPC as a player that the that the PC is playing against, you've got now a, a great opportunity for you to use like religion and arcana yep. and history checks to inform the player. Well, here's how this went. And then it's a great way to give players buy-in because they can maybe write some of the history or in you know give their perspective on some of the history, especially if they're debating on their own heroes from past campaigns and then you know the arbiters will give their give their yes or no or you know hey, you guys you guys each get modifiers and they sort of cancel each other out so just play but there's that theophilosophical debate every round uh, and for players who like to debate or argue or whatever it's a great way to get them involved in a, in a board game okay we have to double back because we Lou and I are both on the edge of our seat what is the right answer of what we're going to call that game <laughs> Go Fellow. It's called Go. <laughs> it is called it Go. It is called Go. Because called go. I learned to play it in Japan. So yeah. I yeah. only know it as Go. I mean, I do know that Othello is there. Secondly, Othello is just marketing by Mattel. The actual right. game was called Reversi. So yeah, Reversi, Go yeah. is the correct answer. Yeah, go yeah. Go is the correct answer, yes. Okay, so if you we, answered Othello, I can no longer be your friend. Okay, we're all still friends. Oh. We can continue recording. Yes, we're all still friends. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I was going to say sometimes you don't even need rules just to have flavor. I mean, in the in the in the How to Train Your Dragon books, not not the the movies, the book, the Vikings play a game called Bashy Ball, and that is the greatest name ever. Bashy Ball tells mm -hmm. you everything you need to know. What are the rules? There aren't any. You know, <laughs> you just you just bash people as much as you can. It's some kind of Viking rugby. I I I wish I had come up with the name Bashy Ball because that just is this volumes of information packed in those two words. I think another in that kind of goes with what I was thinking about was that another way to have fun is have essentially like a multi-section game, you know, almost like a competition. 
like I was saying, I don't have any serious examples. And if that's what people wanted, I don't have them. But I was thinking of the final scenes from Heavyweights where it's the competition where they have to do go-kart racing. They have to do the obstacle course, this trivia. And like it's a good way to get all of your players involved because that could be one of the downsides of a game you create is if it's all physical or it's all mental, then not all of your players get involved. The other one that I thought of, which is a real thing in the world we live in, it is called chess boxing. Yes, yes, yes. I know yes, chess boxing. It is glorious. They literally, you know, I, I say play, they play a round of chess, then they fight a round of boxing, and then they play a round of chess and alternate back and forth. It is, I have that, that a, is amazing. Two, two thoughts spring off that. And one is that yeah. in, in the opening of my third book, Skyborn, there's a young character who's being tested, and she's on a field fighting other sword fighters. But each sword fighter asks her a question, and it could be a mathematical question, a philosophical question, whatever, and she has to answer the question and then defeat them in combat and then move on to the next challenger, answer the question, defeat them in combat. Um, mm. Two, something we did uh, once last year that worked out really, really well, and, it, and we, were, we weren't playing Dungeons & Dragons. We were playing, playing the Fate role-playing game, but it would, mm. it would work for any role-playing game the way we did it. I had a character who was an inventor, and he had decided that he had an arch enemy named Thronkel Iron Butt. They were both dwarves. And Iron Butt was his rival. Nice. And, uh, and so it completely not planned, you know, spur of the moment stuff. He wanted to check in with the Inventor's Guild. And so I wanted something for him to do that had to do with this rivalry. So I announced that the Inventor's Guild was having a contest in three days. And it was, it was basically an Iron Chef kind of contest where they were going to dump a whole bunch of tools and spare parts on tables and you had you know 30 minutes to whip something together and then they would judge and the best invention went and it's best two out of three or three out of five or something and so for the contest i just took his stats without him knowing filed off the serial numbers and made that thronkel iron butt so so oh. his arch rival is exactly matched and then yeah. i made a couple other dwarves who were several levels down you know and so to get the other players involved so each contest, I would roll for the adversary, he rolls his own character, and then let all the other players at the table roll for one of the other characters. So good. Now, yep. the other characters are down a notch, so they're not probably going to win, but there's still a chance one of them could pull ahead, right? Now, then, to keep, keep people involved, uh, my daughter's character had a trained owl. We let her, a couple times during the contest, send it on a mission to see if it could find something and bring it back which he could then use to stick into his invention. And if she was successful at that, then she brings him some thingy, and that thingy adds to it. So he's rolling each turn whether or not he wins the, the particular contest. This is Iron Chef for Inventor Dwarves. And then she's rolling to see whether or not she can bring in something that'll help him. Some of the other players are rolling to see if they can create distractions or make people angry or things like that that will throw off some of the other contestants. And then finally, to keep it really interesting, I got a bunch of steampunk adjectives, and I printed them out, and I cut them up. We had adjective, adjective, noun, and I put them in three envelopes. And whatever you make, you then pull out from the envelope, and you could do this rolling a d20 too. You pull out from the envelope two adjectives and a noun to see what you've made. And we had things. That, that is that's and, awesome. And it was hysterical. And you know, it doesn't matter what you pull out. That's just the color. 
because what you pull out could be the thing that wins or the thing that loses. It doesn't matter. But we had things like pneumatic underwater toilets. Or, uh, <laughs> and, you know, um, uh, <laughs> you know, ethereal rehydrating ornithopter or, or whatever. And some of them were just hysterical. And, and it was, uh, you know, the, the electrified gastrointestinal bidet or something. And it just, it, it, it was one of the most fun sessions we've ever had because everybody was involved. There was all kinds of ways. It wasn't just about who the dice roll for the thing you're making. There's also personality conflicts and attempts to intimidate the other players and attempts to cheat. And then at the end, we have all of these incredible, this stack of just ludicrous steampunk inventions that have piled up. And it's one of the best sessions of any game we've ever played. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's an amazing way to get your other players involved with essentially the NPC characters that would also be there. I mean, even if you're thinking about the physical version in a game of Charioteer, and they're the you know, and your players might be the group, but then there's other NPCs that are involved or any kind of sports team, especially with the other aspects that get added in with the psychological. I mean, look at the NBA and the amount of trash talk that happens between those players to get inside each other's heads is astronomical. So adding that into your game, especially with characters that can do things literally inside the other minds of other people. And like I said, we played it with fate, but it would work fine with Dungeons and Dragons with advantage and disadvantage. You know, mm-hmm. you've made him mad, he now gets disadvantage on the next adventure. Oh, and then, I mean, even playing off of the idea is, you know, and you have the owl that comes in giving essentially advantage, if you will, on what you're pulling out of those envelopes. Yep. Like you could get two options and you get to choose which one you think would be better. Mm-hmm. And uh, then much like, much like, what is it? Oh, I forget the name of the game now. It's like your ad lib game. I can't remember. We played it with bitch once and, you know, the best, the best uh, ad lib phrase won or pun. It was puns. Best pun mm-hmm. one, you know, you got various, you know, modifiers of, of what the pun had to relate to, but much in that same way, you could have like the coolest name and that sort of factors into the victory points as well, you know, who, on who wins and, and, and who loses. And, and that would be pretty sweet because some of those names, like the bidet that would win for me because yeah, I mean, that was just, <laughs> that, was, that made me, that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now we've yeah. talked about games a lot, but what about sports? Because I know sports feed in a lot into culture and things like that. And I think specifically, and I'm gonna butcher, I'm gonna butcher the word, but I made a note of it. It's uh, Tlachtli, I think is the name. It's the Aztec yes, yes. soccer mm-hmm. slash basketball game where they would use their hips and stuff to throw it in a hoop that was like, you know, 15 feet off the ground, and the 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 victors were the ones that were sacrificed to the gods, and that was considered an honor. You know, there's a lot of stuff you could do with sports just like you could do with games and you know i wanted to sort of of homebrew something along those lines of of that game in my world not necessarily the victors being sacrificed to the gods because that's sort of a a heavy price to pay for winning but you know something along those lines that gets the more physical characters Mm -hmm. like your you know your fighters and paladins and things of that nature involved in games and sports because sports are just a you know physical sort of game uh, instead of a mental game like you know you'd have with with any of the number of games that we've talked about and yeah sports sort of intrigues me because in, in 5e you have athletics and you have acrobatics and you can use those sorts of checks to help your players do their thing on the court or the field or whatever else <laughs> you remember blood bowl from games workshop yes yeah. yes 
That well, and it's funny you say that because the other thing I was thinking with sports is how indoctrinated they are into the culture of your world. Mm-hmm. Because um, I did a quick Google search, and last year the NFL brought in thirteen billion dollars. So that's the kind of industry we're talking about in a sport that is essentially only existing in a single country. I mean, if you think of a sport that would go over your entire world, it could also be this like neutral thing that happens where every country, despite their conflicts, are willing to play this sport together. Mm. And then the, the things that you could do and the connections you could make in essentially like this neutral blood bowl, if you will. Yeah, and it so many things spinning off that. One, I will know by the time this podcast is out, Tomb of Annihilation is supposed to have dinosaur racing. Right, like horse racing, mm-hmm. and I think yep. you can bet on it, but you can also ride the dinosaurs and be a participant, be a jockey, and uh, that's awesome. In in my second book, Nightborn, with the Manticore racing, you're you're racing around the track. So if you were going to model that in a role playing game, you'd have to make you'd have to have one. You're racing around the track, but every chariot has two people in it, and you're allowed to fight with the other chariots with weapons. So one person would be doing the driving roles their skill at actually racing. And the other person would be making attacks as they, probably opportunity attacks as they pass other chariots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there'd be range because you can throw spears or you can use fight with the sword if you're side by side. And then on top of that, you're crashing the chariots together. So you're going to wreck the chariot. And then, you know, on top of that, you have to cross the finish line. Plus then you've got the angry manticores. Exactly. To deal with. And 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 the, it, it is the biggest thing in the culture, and people are betting on it, and people are going to be upset if one side wins or one side loses. And and then it, I, I really don't want too much of a spoiler, but in my third game, my third game, my third book, the book ends with them bringing back something like the Olympics as a way to forestall war. So there's no reason you couldn't have a fantasy Olympic with different countries involved, and you know, and and. And, and have some real stakes depending on who wins and who doesn't win. They, they, I, I like that. You know, they had the Olympics during World War II and the Nazis. Yeah, were, so exactly were there. what I was yeah, going to exactly. say. Exactly. I think there's an old movie with Sylvester Stallone and Pele about beating the Nazis. And, and, and so you could, have a, you could have political intrigue going on around your game and people cheating, and it's important for which country is going to win and which country is not going to win. That, I like you know idea. a local ruler may come to you and say you have to throw <laughs> this one and you're like I don't want to throw it and well if you don't throw it we're going to execute you I mean you could do a whole campaign just set an in and around arena and the, and the buildings around it now I want to do that yeah well and then you know I'd actually get to use my proficiency in land vehicles <laughs> yes yes me? I mean that's awesome <laughs> finally <laughs> finally yeah <laughs> you know and, and you know you can borrow from something like Rome too with you know you were talking about the hippodrome and and when i was in israel and jordan i got to see a lot of the coliseums yes. that are still standing and my 4 year old and i have been watching guillermo de la toro's netflix series called the troll hunters <gasps> right? it's a wonderful series it and if you haven't watched series. it you you're really missing out you you really need to watch it cuz it's amazing and there's this thing is it called the forge neil is that what it's called i can't remember off the top of my head the place where the troll hunter goes to like train. Oh yeah. Yeah. With all the other ghosts of the other troll hunters, which is also well, super cool. Go on. Yeah. Which is also really cool. But like there's, there's games that are played in there. Uh, one it's, it's a Coliseum like thing. And then two, it's got a game sort of like basketball 
that's played in there against, you know, there's two people that fight on each side and they're trying to score, but, and you earn your weapons as you score points, which is pretty cool. Um, so everybody starts off kind of on the, the same playing field as far as like, we just have fists and armor. That's all. And then as you score points, you get access to your weapons and, and those sorts of things. But I think if you incorporated something like the Roman Coliseum, where it's not necessarily, I mean, sure, you could have professional gladiator schools or something along those lines. But to have the opportunity for fighters, barbarians, you know, even more martial rogues, even wizards, you know, might want to compete, you know, spellcasters. But to have sort of like a, a, an Olympic style or a gladiatorial games and, you know, you have some that are fights to the death, you have others that are not. And I think that would be a great way to, uh, especially with the, the incorporation of magic, to have like a, a, an arena that's constantly in flux and constantly moving with exposing new and more terrifying beasties as, as the thing goes on. And maybe the gladiators then have to join together to combat the beholder that just popped out of the floor. Ooh. Yeah. The bloody elves always win the archery contest. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm also flashing jokes. back to the 1980s Flash Gordon with that one uh-huh. wonderful pivoting arena with the spikes that come in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The hawk, yeah. the hawk men have. Yeah. Or even in Tron. Yeah. You've got yep, some yep. of those same sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like Tron it. was the first time that I saw a game and then played a game. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, that was a pivotal thing when you could do the same thing that they did in Tron. And it was what they did in Tron because it's a video game about video game. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and then when the new one came out, the, the, the new game came out as well. Uh, and it did fairly decently, I think. But yeah, so so we've we've talked a lot about the different like ways that we can create games and things like that. But I think what we really want to know is from the three of us, like, what is a game you've wanted to create, and how would you go about creating it? Because I think that that's a a big part of if you want to incorporate games in your world. Like you said, Lou, we, it doesn't have to have like a strict rule structure or anything. But if you want you know, if players are interested in playing games or sports. Like I go to inspiration to the real world. I know you do too, because we have so much, uh, and there's so many games that have fallen by the wayside throughout history. You could pull from an ancient game and nobody would know it and, and be able to experience something new. So how, if you were to, if you were to recommend tips for a DM on how they could create their own game to be engaging and interesting to players, where would you, well, how would you start that? And, I, and what would you I do? think the first yeah. question is to ask yourself what purpose the game was. What, what statement about the world do you want the game to make? Because, you know, like a, a very intellectual strategy game versus a dice game that's more random versus a card game. You know, I'm a great, great lover of the James Bond card game where he sits across from the bad guy. And so the first thing is, what, what, what is it that you need the game to say about the world? Is it about, uh, you know, the combat between intellectuals? Is it about the randomness and unfairness of life? Is it about... Is it a preview of something that's going to happen in the real world later? You know, we, we, in, in my second book, we play charioteers first, and then, and then later in the book, we are actually on chariots in a hippodrome. So it's a, it, it's a, it's a hint of things to come. It's a, it's, a, it's a taste of something that gets expanded. And so determine what you want it to do. Are you trying to create unease? Are you trying to create uh, political intrigue? You know, what is the setting that this game is for? And then I look to history. Look to history. There's so many, 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 many games that you've never heard of that go all the way back to, to, to ancient, ancient cultures. And look at those as examples. File, you know, take a little from here, a little from 
there, start mixing them, play test them with other people. I was lucky that I had my, my two oldest nephews were chess champions in the state of Alabama. I took them to Starbucks, got them coffees, I sat them against each other, and they played thrones and thrones <laughs> for three hours. And uh, I then had to pry it away from them. So that's how I knew it worked. And, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, but it, it, and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it. yeah. Yeah. I like the idea that you have to figure out what you want the game to do. I think that that's a, a huge part of wanting, you know, to, to make a game first is like, what's the point of, of making this game? You know, it's, it's one thing to have players that are interested, but like, what is, what, why was this game created? There are always reasons why games were created like chess, um, like, like go and the reasons they were created there was a purpose behind them. So what, what was the intent when the game was originally created in your world? And why do people still play it? I mean, chess is, is hundreds of years old. Why do people still play chess? So I, I like that as a starting point. And I think one of the cool things that, uh, Lou, that you've got going on for your game, and I know that there are a couple of other games that, that do this where you, you make your own set. And I think that that's a huge part of, of making players own it and getting them involved is, you know, as they're playing these games and they're acquiring their own pieces, maybe they start with like a an old tavern set or something of pieces. And as they're progressing through their adventures, as they're going along, they start to get maybe random little pieces for their own sets mm. and then start to play. I think that that's a, a cool idea as well. Well, you know, it's also, and, it's, and, and you raised this point earlier, it's a great way to teach history. I mean, the, the, the Viking game, Nefetapel, it's an asymmetric game where you have more... Uh, attackers and defenses. Uh, one side's attacking the Jarl, and the Jarl has to get off the board before he gets captured. And uh, there, he has fewer, he has fewer uh, playing pieces than the attackers. And they think historically it's because the Vikings had spent several hundred years raiding Russia for slaves. The, the word slave comes from Slav because they thought Slavic people made the best slaves. And, and they had established uh, several fortresses on the I guess southwestern border of Russia, or, or the or the, what the, those territories, that, and finally the Slavic people got sick of it and drove the Vikings out. And so they think Hanefetafel, uh is about that retreat. It's about whoops, we got we have to abandon our fortress and get out of here now. <laughs> and so the history of 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 the of the wars and the raids between. Nordic and, and Slavic people is encoded in the board game. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's I awesome. didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I will. I guess I'll, I'll button it up and say, kind of playing off of Ian as well, is that if you can get physical pieces to go with a game, I think that will take it definitely to the next level, especially with starting out with the amazing advice from Lou that you need to figure out the significance of this game. And like, if that's your starting place, getting a physical version would just seem like the next logical step of making it more significant to you and your players. So I think that's, I think that's what you should do. And like Lou said, that's it. That's all you just do it. <laughs> it's <laughs> like that, it. uh, the doctor who, how did, how did he get the, the big box inside the little box? Well, you have to imagine a little box, a, a big box inside a little box. And then you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Well, Lou, we want to thank you for being on. It was a pleasure to have you back. Uh, it was great to finally meet you. Uh, I hadn't had that privilege yet, and we hope you do come back again because you're a great guest. We love having you, and, and your insight is amazing. I love Always it. fun. Very happy to come back anytime. So where could people go, though, to find out all about you and Thrones and Bones? Well, I am. And all the other things that you might finish and we don't know in what order. <laughs> uh, I am very, very searchable and spreadable. I'm on LouAnders.com. I'm on Twitter at LouAnders. I'm on Facebook at LouAnders. There's also a Thrones and Bones page on Facebook. Uh, if you know, a Google search for LouAnders, you'll find me all over the place. Yeah, when my kids are old enough, we're going to be reading Thrones and Bones together because it's an amazing it's an amazing series if you have not read it. Thank yep. you. And Lou, we'll let you go, and we will head off to the mailbag section, I think, because we're adding that back, and I think this is where it would go. But if not, we'll cut all of the words I just said. <laughs> all right. <Yay. laughs> well, thank you guys very much. Thank yeah, you. We'll see you. Cool, man. <laughs> They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? So before we sign off of this week's episode, I get to do my first mailbag of holding ever. So here we go. It's going to be exciting. This email comes to us from DM Sam. And he says, hello, DMB. I love your show. I'm having trouble with my D&D group, and I was wondering if you guys could help me. The first time we got together, we played the Lost Mind of Fandelver Adventure module from the starter set, but only got about a minute in before the chaos began. They kept getting up and leaving during play, got pizza all over their character sheets, didn't listen to anything I said, tried eating the dice, started talking to each other while I was explaining important stuff, playing on their phones and my 3DS, and one of them said, I would like to poop down the chimney in the bugbear's room onto my party. This made one of my other players so mad that she started beating him senseless with a nearby throw pillow. If you could reply with some kind of advice or make an episode on or DMnastic segment about organization of players during play, that would help me so much. Thanks a lot. Well, Sam, one of the things that I do at my table to help control sort of that chaos is, first of all, I don't allow any electronics at my table. Uh, I find them to be distracting. I am a solid pen and paper kind of guy when I can. I have been using lately uh, the the Fight Club app on my iPhone, and I think I'm going to start getting away from that more because it's providing to be proving to be more of a distraction to me as a player than anything else. Uh, but I prefer not having any sort of electronics at the table. And so what I what I've done in the past is I've taken phones and things like that and we put them across the room so that they're not in our pockets because D&D has always been about playing together, being with each other, being face to face and things like that. So the first thing is you could do is possibly get rid of the electronics. Secondly, you could have dinner before you get started or have dinner on a break. You know, that way the pizza is not getting all over the table or anything like that. We do snacks at the table, just sort of put it out in the center. But it sounds like, I don't know what the age range is, the age group is of, of your players, but it sounds like they're kind of immature. <laughs> so maybe they just have never sat down and actually done anything like this. So teaching them what it's like, uh, teaching them how to handle situations like that. And sometimes it's just, it's about corralling the different personalities and making sure, hey, listen guys. We get together, we're playing this game. I gave up a lot of my time to prep this adventure because even with modules, you prep the adventure. If you guys if you guys don't want to play this, that's fine. We can find something else to do. But we, you know, D&D &D may not be the game for us at this point in time. And, you know, 
so having an honest and open conversation with them about that topic, about being distracted, about eating the dice, about wanting to poop down the chimney on your fellow players. I mean, seriously, it, it might be time to just sit down and have an honest conversation with them about your expectations and what exactly you're talking about when you say we're playing D&D and what that looks like because they might not actually know depending on how how long they've been playing or whatever you didn't I didn't see any time frame in there but sometimes it's just about sometimes it's just about having an open and honest dialogue with them before any drastic action is taken so i hope that helps and i hope that provides you with some ideas as to what you can do you know take away the electronics do dinner separately from the table eating dice i'm not sure that i can really help you there i mean that that Maybe, maybe some counseling? I don't know. I'm just kidding, by the way. So have fun. That's what you're there to do. And if if you know if they don't want to sit down and play D&D, maybe, like I said, D&D is not the game for them. But I think if you have an open and honest conversation with them, th- things will get better, especially when you lay out expectations. And I always lay out expectations on Zero Night. That way my players are not confused at all about what I expect, nor am I confused about what they expect. So I hope that helps. Thanks for the email. The Dungeon Master's Block. But if you want to go ahead and get a hold of us and tell us how you put sports and games into your game, 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 you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to head over to iTunes and show us some love, you can do so by giving us a five-star review, which we will read on air. Yeah, and if you'd like to get at us on social media, the two best places to do that are both Twitter and Facebook. Both sources are a great way to get in contact with the hosts if you have anything you want to ask us personally for D&D memes, polls, and general all-around goodness. But like we always do, today we have a Patreon member that we want to give out give a shout out to and today's patreon member or nope today's patreon shout out goes to and ryan is none other than a dreaded silver dragon and i would say going through our forums but that's probably an understatement because ryan has also offered his web mastery skills to help bring you the latest version of blockpartypodcastnetwork.com Check out other shows like the DM's Block. You can check out Geek Wars, GM Showcase, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. But that's it. That's all you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block. The place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, Killing characters. And lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. This is DM Ian saying we'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. Two weeks from now. But whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nope. Leave it. <laughs> we'll see you next time. I'll, 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 uh... <laughs> I'll change that in post. <laughs>
Goodbye.